All right, put your pencil down. I need listening ears. This is a kindergarten classroom in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. So let's read it together. What's it say? My, My pet report. Wonderful. The teacher has six students gathered around the table. She's helping them figure out the connection between groups of letters and the sounds they represent. And one little guy's stuck on the word bark. What's the first sound? Buh. We got that one. That's B. Now what's the next sound? R. How do you make R? Where's your pirate patch? R. How do you how do you write R? A-R, absolutely. On its face, it seems so simple and so not controversial. I mean, it's not like sex education. It's teaching kids to read. But if you were around in the 1980s, you might remember some big fights over how to teach kids to read. People called them the reading wars. And as it turns out, they're not over. From West Virginia Public Broadcasting and PRX, this is Us and Them, the podcast where we tell stories from America's culture divides. I'm Trey Kay. The audio we just heard from the kindergarten classroom came from a radio documentary by Emily Hanford. She's an education reporter, and she's spent the past couple of years doing research and interviews on how kids learn to read and how schools teach reading. There's a mountain of research on reading, but lots of schools are teaching reading in ways that don't line up with the science. Emily's documentary is called Hard Words, and it's fascinating. And it's stirred up a whole lot of passionate conversation on social media. Based on her documentary, she wrote an op-ed piece for the New York Times last month, and it was the most shared opinion article on the Times website for a couple of days. And the comments were, well, shall we say, lively. But Emily says the fireworks over how we teach kids to read are nothing new. There were these two ideas. You can actually see very vicious fights about it back in like the (laughs) 17 and 1800s, no joke, in the United States. And apparently, and I haven't looked into this, fights about this have happened in other countries going even further back. So people have had uh, very strong feelings about reading for a long time. This isn't just a philosophical argument. It it is about philosophy, but it's also very practical. We're talking about whether kids learn to read well. So according to the Nation's Report Card, which is this standardized test we've been giving since the 1990s, about 6 in 10 kids, 4th and 8th graders in America, cannot read proficiently. And that translates into... 30 million adults, roughly, who who can't decipher basic texts. I mean, we have a lot of kids who just, never mind being proficient readers, they just struggle with the basics uh, of how to decode words and understand what's before them when they read the label on a prescription bottle. We have a real crisis in this country uh, with reading. Emily mentioned the two ideas about how to teach reading. Back in the 1970s and 80s, folks started pitting phonics against whole language. Those two schools of thought have changed a bit over the years, and sometimes they go by different names. 
But that's still pretty much how the argument shakes out. The whole language camp argues that kids learn to read naturally, just like they learn to talk. The basic idea is that you expose kids to a lot of books, get them absorbed in them, and with enough practice, enough enough exposure, they get it, and they start to sort of get reading with a little bit of help and a lot of exposure. And some kids do, but a lot of kids don't. Some kids will do okay. Uh, Some kids will look like they're doing okay for a while. And then a lot of them start to hit a wall in like third or fourth grade when they start coming across words that they're not familiar with. (laughs) They're given long texts that they've never seen before and are full of words that they haven't memorized, quote unquote, that don't have pictures or other kinds of clues. So once kids are expected in third and fourth grade to be able to really handle a lot of text on their own, a lot of kids start to fall apart if they haven't really been taught how to read. So whole language is one approach to teaching kids based on the idea that reading comes naturally if kids are exposed to lots of books. And then there's the other view. Which is that it's the skill that you need to sort of directly teach to kids and that the key is this thing called phonics. Phonics is based on sounds. You teach kids how letters and combinations of letters represent particular sounds. You need to teach kids basically the code that human beings came up with a few thousand years ago when they developed writing and reading. At. Chat. In. Chin. And here's one of my favorite parts from Emily's documentary. She talks about watching The Electric Company on PBS when she was a kid. Yeah, I watched The Electric Company all the time. Absolutely loved it. She remembers the segment of the show when two silhouettes show up on the screen facing each other. Each silhouette says a chunk of a word, and then they say the whole word together. Charm. That's the part of the show that I actually remember the best. It was really fun to go watch all kinds of YouTube videos about Electric Company. Ease. Cheese. The people who made the Electric Company definitely threw down with the phonics camp. Yeah, absolutely. The Electric Company people and the Sesame Street people definitely in the 70s when they were developing those programs, that was a big part of what they were doing, was trying to teach kids phonics. It's a lot of work for a teacher to change the way they teach kids to read. But people do change. In her documentary, Emily talks with a woman named Kathy Bast in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Yeah. I mean, this is a woman who was actually a reading specialist. So she was certified to, to specialize in how to help children who were struggling with reading. And she did that for a long time. And now she's an elementary school principal in Pennsylvania. And this uh, entire school system uh, has spent the last few years really looking closely at the science, recognizing that their teachers really didn't know it and that the way that they were approaching reading instruction was really quite off Uh, in terms of what the science says you should be doing and emphasizing at different points for children. So they've invested a whole lot of money in retraining all the teachers and principals. Kathy told Emily that colleagues who took the training before she did warned her that she was not going to like it. They said to me, Kathy, we know you. You're not going to take well to this training. You're going to struggle against this. 
That's because Kathy was all about whole language when she was a reading specialist, and everyone in the district knew it. She told Emily that whole language was what she learned in her teacher education program. It was just put the literature in front of the kids, teach the story, and the children will learn how to read simply through exposure. I think that worked for some, but I look back now and owe apology letters to thousands of children <laughs> because it, it obviously it didn't work for some. And I did, even through my reading specialist certification, I didn't know what to do except just give them more books. Emily says that when Kathy became a reading specialist, she learned how to test kids to find out if they were reading well. But then what do you actually, if you find a kid who has a learning problem, what do you do about it? And I have heard this from so many teachers across the country, that they were, they could figure out who had a reading problem, but they had basically no clue what to do about it, except to just give them more books and just read to them more and read with them more. So Kathy becomes a principal. And in 2015, the district is sending teachers and principals to this training to learn to teach phonics. When Kathy Bast heard about this training and everyone thought she was going to resist, she was kind of like, ah, they might be kind of surprised that I might be kind of ready for this information. She had started searching around, you know, the kinds of things that you get to read, the major publications and newsletters and things like that that come to teachers and principals don't in general include a lot of this science, but you can Google it. (laughs) You can find it. There are some fabulous books out there. So she had started to do a little of that on her own. And then when they started doing this training, uh, where they were really teaching the principals and the teachers the science, she was immediately like, oh my God, oh, aha, right, ah, that's how it works. The training itself was just so eye-opening and presented in such a way that I had no choice but to pay attention to it and to start to challenge my own self and what I had always known. Kathy Bass said she came out of the training inspired and ready to get back to her school and start making changes. Wow, we okay, let's go get at this. The kids in Kathy Bass School are reading better since the district embraced the science of reading. And here's how we know. At the end of every school year, the district gives kindergartners a test to see how well they're reading. The year before the district started the science of reading training, two-thirds of the kindergartners at Kathy Bass School tested below the benchmark. Two-thirds. That means their reading skills weren't ready for first grade. Then the kindergarten teachers got the training. And the next year, none of the kindergartners at the school scored below the benchmark. Not one. I'm Trey Kay, and this is Us and Them, which is supported in part by the West Virginia Humanities Council, the CRC Foundation, and the Daywood Foundation. Music lifts us up and brings us together, even when we can't get together in person. Mountain Stage brings you live performances on the air, online, and in our podcast. They remind you how it feels to be in a live audience listening to live music. This is Larry Gross, host of Mountain Stage. Find a link to our stations and our podcast online at mountainstage.org. You're listening to Us and Them. I'm Trey Kay, And we're talking about the reading wars with education reporter Emily Hanford. It, it, it seems as though, it, it, and from my experience, that in some ways the reading wars can kind of fall along political um, political mm-hmm. lines where like, I think that the conservative people seem to be more aligned with phonics and the progressive and liberals seem to be more 
aligned with whole language. I mean, is is that the way it breaks down? Is that is that is that your experience? You know, I think one of the reasons that this became political is because it was emotional. People had really strong feelings. And like I said before, we didn't know how children learn how to read. So for a long time, these battles were taking place, but no one really knew the answer. They just sort of said, well, this works with my kids, and this works with my kids, and this works with my students. No, this works with my students. And it, and must, work for, it w- must work for everybody. I mean, exactly. what, what works for my kid, that, this is what all kids need. Right. And so you've got two problems there. One, sample sizes are too small. (laughs) You know, like your child or your class of 20 students isn't a good sample size. And also, we can get into the cognitive science of this. The way that it looks like people are learning isn't always the way they are actually learning something. So that's the problem when your ideas about how children learn to read are based mostly on observation and experience. So along comes science, (laughs) which is about the opposite of that, which is sort of, you know, fundamentally the scientific method is having a hypothesis about how something happens and then studying it, gathering all kinds of evidence and data and doing experiments. And, you know, since the 1960s, reading scientists and cognitive scientists and later on neuroscientists have been doing a a lot of research about reading. This research into how reading works caught Emily's attention, and that's what drew her into this topic. I've been an education reporter for a long time, and there's a lot of stuff we don't really know um, about what works in education, but reading is one of the most studied aspects of human learning, as one of the experts in the documentary I made says. It is the most studied. Uh, We know so much about how human beings learn how to read. And the science, by the late 1990s, the science was settled and clear. We are born wired to talk. So a baby is born... And if people talk to him or her and engage in conversation, unless they have some sort of cognitive delay or some sort of injury in the brain, they are going to learn to talk. Babies learn to understand and speak their native language just by being exposed to it. But are we wired to learn to read? No. And that's what the scientists have figured out. We are not wired to read. And this is the fascinating thing about that is because our brains just aren't evolved to do it because reading's new. In the course of human history, we just invented writing just kind of like a little while ago. (laughs) So our brains, our brains literally, they do, our brains do not know how to do it. We need to learn it. And most people need to very systematically be taught how to do it. And it's based on sound. So the phonics people, you know, were taking a good guess for hundreds of years. And they were basically right. The initial first step in becoming a reader is understanding that words are made up of sounds. And once you figure that out, you've started to crack the code and then you become a reader. And then all of these things that are super important and the whole language folks are completely right about are so essential. Kids learn a lot of things about grammar and stuff like that when they get read to a lot. But the the base little, like the little thing that needs to be lit at the beginning is decoding words. But why is there such a fight over this if, as you say, the science is so clear? Because it's political. 
because it's about beliefs. But that's one of the things that you bring up in the documentary. And, and you equate how there seems to be a reluctance to embrace the science of reading, kind of like climate change, where you have a group of people who, who I guess, think this isn't really what I believe and uh, the science is still out. So, yeah. And I mean, the reason the climate change is in there is because I, I think that is an apt analogy to what is going on with reading science. I mean, I don't think a lot of people recognize just how much evidence there is about the fact that learning to read starts with sound and children having awareness of the sounds of words and then beginning and being taught that and then uh, understanding how those connect to letters. There is so much evidence about that. As someone says in the documentary, if, if a scientist tried to like do another study about that or another experiment, they'd be laughed out of the academy. Like, that's settled. We don't need a paper on that. It's done. We're, it's settled science. <laughs> wow. So it's amazing that decades after the science was settled, you can still walk into a lot of schools and while you might see a little bit of phonics going on, I guarantee you in a lot of schools, you're going to see a lot of other stuff that kind of rests on this idea that kids basically memorize words um, and uh, use context to figure out words. And those are really whole language ideas. And I don't think a lot of people realize that the reading instruction their kids are getting are very much grounded in whole language ideas with a little bit of phonics sprinkled in. In your documentary, you talk to a couple of college education professors, and they are still devoted to the whole language approach. And it was probably one of the most compelling parts of the documentary. Um, and and I, I guess I would like to know, like, what, what did they tell you? What's their defense? I, I think a lot of it is um, political for them. I mean, I think that they see um, efforts to bring in more of this kind of explicit and systematic instruction and phonics as um, conservative, as kind of education reformers telling educators what to do. Um, I, you know, the thing is, I don't think those women that I interviewed in the documentary, I don't, they, I don't think they've read much of the science, Um, and so I don't know that they really know it. And I don't think they think they need to know it because they have a lot of other things that they have been for many decades that they have been teaching their students about how children learn to read. It's really hard to give that up. If you have staked your career, if you have taught decades worth of college students or children how to read based on one set of assumptions about how reading works, And then it comes along that that set of assumptions isn't quite right. It's not an easy thing to reconcile. I mean, another reason people don't give up their beliefs is it comes with, in this case, pain and guilt. (laughs) I mean, many of the teachers I talked to who started to learn the science and realized just how off their reading instruction was, their first reaction is to feel really guilty, like, wow, I've been teaching for 30 years. What happened to those kids? It's hard to say, oops, I made a mistake. I mean, I feel that as a reporter. You can be a little off about things and wrong, and a few years ago, you're like, oh, hmm. I mean, I've done some reporting that has much more supported 
the kind of let children construct the knowledge for themselves kind of stuff. I would do that reporting differently now. I would ask different questions. I would seek out different sources of evidence. I would probably come to different conclusions. It's not easy to recognize that you might be wrong about something. Here on Us and Them, so much of what we focus on is really how issues form entrenched camps of belief. Mm. And I think that what what you have really brought out with your um, your documentary and your op-ed that you wrote in the New York Times is that there really are entrenched camps with regard to these reading wars. And I guess yeah. my question for you is, where do you think this is going? And is there going to be a conclusion or a solution yeah. with these reading wars? I'm glad that this documentary has, I think this documentary has opened up uh, a next chapter of this conversation. It certainly has inspired a lot of responses. <laughs> I mean, you have thousands of responses on the op-ed in the New York Times. And, 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 and there seems to be lots of articles out there of people who are taking you to task. Yeah. And I think a lot of people also respond like, oh, my God, the reading wars are over. Don't bring that up again. And I, I, I recognize <laughs> that instinct because and this is what makes me nervous. We have a pattern in this country of sort of deciding that something is a, is a problem, you know, and then trying to fix it um, and fix it from the top down. But I, I really think that the hope here is among the teachers because, you know, people who are saying, oh, you're just bringing up the reading wars again, or you're just blaming teachers. I, I'm, I, I don't think this is teachers' fault. I was very careful to say that in the documentary. It, all the teachers I've ever talked to about many issues and this issue in particular, they want to teach their kids to read. Teaching is so damn hard. They are going to school and doing their best every day. But it is so unfair if what they have in terms of what they know about reading, what their best is, isn't quite right. And what a lot of their best is, isn't quite right. Because the science is not making its way into teacher preparation programs, largely. It is not making its way into teacher professional development. It is not well understood by a lot of the administrators in K-12 through education. So we have a real knowledge problem. There's so much that teachers don't know. And the kind of knowledge that you need to teach kids how to read is not learned quickly, uh, is not necessarily learned cheaply. I mean, this is an investment of time and money in districts and teacher preparation programs that's going to take a long time. I don't think this is a political fight to most of the teachers on the ground working in kindergarten, first and second grade classrooms. They just want to know how to teach their kids to read. The reading wars seem to be as hot as ever. If you don't believe me, just go online and see what I mean. The other day I was on Facebook and I saw a post from a teacher who's in the whole language camp. She called Emily's work stupid. 
This teacher suggested that Emily was backed by massive corporate money. In the subsequent comment thread, another person quipped that U.S. Education Secretary Betsy DeVos must have been Emily's ghostwriter. And this venting isn't just on Facebook. You can see the same kind of vitriol in readers' comments in stories on the New York Times and Washington Post. So, Emily's right. The reading wars are political. But I think when you boil the whole thing down, what you've got is, on one side, there's a compelling story. Every kid's different. There's no one right way to teach reading. Kids will figure it out if we teach them to love books. And on the other side, there's research and data. Psychologists and neurologists who have studied how we read more than they've studied any other area of learning. And those researchers have been confident for decades that most kids need to be directly taught how to decode words if they're going to learn to read well. In the middle are the students. And while the adults keep up the fight, millions of kids aren't learning to read. If you want to listen to Emily Hanford's documentary about reading, it's called Hard Words, and you can find it on the APM Reports website. And we'll also have a link on the us and website, too. You've been listening to Us and Them. Our team for this episode is me, Trey Kay, Chris Julin, and Loretta Williams. Special thanks to APM Reports for the audio from Emily Hanford's Hard Words documentary. Michael Lipton and Tristam Lozow wrote and performed the Us and Them show music. Mark Lerner designed our logo. The wonderful people at PRX and West Virginia Public Broadcasting make Us and Them possible. So do grants from the West Virginia Humanities Council, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the CRC Foundation, and the Daywood Foundation. Us and Them was originally developed with the assistance of the Mentorship Program at AIR, the Association of Independence in Radio. We'll see you next time on Us and Them. Support for this podcast comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.